On today's show, meet the extraordinary Arctic explorer, Jeff Green, who has been on over 120 expeditions to our Arctic regions, and he still has all his toes and fingers. Jeff has also cracked the riddle on how to get students on ice. This episode is brought to you by the Podcast Services Division at Lifestuff Media. Having your own podcast allows you to creatively reach all types of audiences, from clients to prospects, to your most loyal membership base. And by utilizing studio affiliates located around the world, coupled with quality remote recording capabilities, Lifestuff Media makes having a corporate podcast easier than ever before. Contact us for a no-obligation consultation at info at lifestuff.com or visit lifestuff.com to learn more. This is Life's Tough, but explorers are tougher. I'm your host, Richard Weiss. If you're new to Life's Tough, I'd like to welcome you and tell you a little about myself and the show. First of all, I love the outdoors. I always have, and I always will. And I've also been surrounded by explorers my entire life. My father, Richard Weiss Sr., was the first man to solo the Pacific Ocean in an airplane. The New York Times called him the Lone Eagle of the Pacific. Some of my fondest memories were standing out on our lawn underneath the stars with my father telling me how explorers use the stars to navigate. I guess we talked about a few other things as well. And speaking of talking, I host a television show called Born to Explore, it's on PBS stations around the country, so please check it out. And finally, I've been president of the world-famous Explorers Club. Just about every great explorer of the 20th and 21st century has been a member, including Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Jane Goodall, Theodore Roosevelt. Some people say it's like Harry Potter's Hogwarts, only for adults. I've heard stories that would make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. You see, explorers are the type of people who walk in space, go to the bottom of the ocean, and stand on the highest summits. Scratch the surface of any explorer, and you'll find they're all storytellers. This show is about their tales. Our guest today, Jeff Green, has led over 120 expeditions to the polar regions, many through his highly successful Students on Ice program, where he has taken students, educators, artists, elders, leaders on meaningful journeys with the goal of fostering a new understanding and respect for the global environment. He is the recipient of the Order of Canada, the highest civilian award from his home nation, Jeff Green, welcome to Life's Tough. Explorers are tougher. Good to see you, Jeff. Great to see you, Richard. Jeff, when I was um, doing, um, reading a little of your bio beforehand, and I was looking at 120 expeditions to the polar regions, I, I happened to be going outside at my house here in Connecticut to my storage shed, which I built because I had so much stuff from all the trips I've been on. Now, I know from polar expeditions, that's like the craziest amount of equipment because what it takes to uh, keep somebody sort of uh, alive and safe and warm. 
what is your storage facility like when in terms of jackets and, and equipment for the Arctic and Antarctic? <laughs> Chelsea, Quebec is one of the storage units, I suppose. And we've got like a Canada goose warehouse and kayaks and you name it scattered all over the place. But thankfully we also have an office with the big storage uh, space. So most of our gear is there, but we've also, we've got stuff stored in Newfoundland and stuff in Patagonia. It's, it's uh, scattered all over the place, but we use it. We use it a lot, even, even here at home. So I remember Michael Jordan once saying he liked the feel of new sneakers on every game. And I don't know if this sounds like sort of metrosexual or something, but from when I see like a new down jacket or something that's new, I'm like, oh yeah, I could use this. Whereas the reality is I have so many jackets and so many hats and pants and all that other stuff. I don't need anything for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's so true. I know. I know what you mean. We, uh, we've got more than enough, but we, sh we outfit lots of students, of course. So it, it, it all gets used. Um, and this room I'm in right now is, this is where we, I guess, store or display a lot of our, our special things. There's paintings of the Arctic up here behind me. Uh, that's to symbolize the, the art melting of the, the glaciers and the, the, uh, the icebergs up north and, Above me is this, a giant sculpture of a wandering albatross by the one and only Father Goose, Bill Lishman. So it's we're surrounded by it in one way or the other. Well, let's talk a little about Student on Ice, which I, I think I've been on two of your trips to Antarctica, and yeah. it's amazing. And um, a mutual friend of ours, Don Walsh, the first guy to the, go to the bottom of the ocean, uh, I was asking him once who the best expedition leaders he'd ever seen. And he actually said, Jeff Green. And that's a high compliment from coming from an ex-Navy guy and a guy who was the pioneer of going down to the deepest point in the ocean. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you've had him on trips, right? Yeah, we've been so lucky, like to be blessed with all kinds of amazing people like like you, Richard, like you were involved in Students on Ice really during the early days and your help helped help it to grow. And Don, Don was there right at the very beginning. He was one of those mentors that said, hey, this is a great idea. We should take youth from around the world to these cornerstones of our of our planet. And give them these experiences at the beginning of their life. And, and it was, you know, those sorts of people um, that just in their humble way supported us. And st to this day, like Don, unfortunately, we had to cancel our expedition, but he's on my board of advisors and just has helped for 20 plus years. So, I, and I, I do, I respect that guy so much. So what amazed me, and I'm because you and I actually know each other now 20 years. That's when I went to Antarctica with you on a Students on Ice. But just to really set the scene for people and know where Don and even myself are coming from, from the perspective of leadership, you're taking 60-ish uh, kids down to Antarctica. They're all teenagers. And yeah. so you and I were both single then, didn't have kids. <laughs> And what amazed me the most, and, and Jeff, I'm going to have to ask you parenting tips, 
is you had all these kids on there, and yet the the um, I never saw you lose your cool. You pretty much had a smile most of the time, and things were under control. And so that sounds very superficial, but in terms of anybody who's ever had teenagers, that is not an easy feat. How do you do it? <laughs> I that's a good question. I mean, I think it's harder to manage your own teenager than than somebody else's. But uh, we we've just put these youth in in a in an environment that's really positive. It it's uh, it. In some cases, they've never been in, in such a warm, caring, nurturing environment before. And we become a team, we become a family, and we support each other. And when you're in a place like the Arctic or the Antarctic, you have to work together. And and the students realize they're they're on an expedition. They're not, you know, on vacation. <laughs> so there's there's certainly moments, but I for the most part, Richard, I've found it like easier to lead teenagers on an expedition than adults. Um, they don't behave quite as well as the teenagers do for the most part. But uh, yeah, it's this global group of kids and they're connecting with each other. They're connecting with themselves and they're connecting with nature. And it's just totally profound and eye-opening and, and life-changing. And to do that in these special parts of the world, I, I, somehow that the ingredients are there for the magic to happen. And, and it does. Well, I think I think kids also respect that they're in an environment they're not completely uh, comfortable yeah. with. It, it's a little foreign, so they need to actually depend on your instructions. But my observation mm -hmm. of, um, at the time I was single, was that if you go on a safari, for example, you have usually a morning game drive, and then there's a long nap slash lunch, and then maybe in the evening, I recall from being on that trip and, you know, I, it was, this is 20 years ago being thoroughly exhausted because you got up and, and it was so not regimented, but there was no idle time. And yeah. I, I know this from submarine people that they say that the last thing you want is your crew to have too much free time. That's when people get in trouble. So now I have uh, a daughter who's, going to turn into a teenager in June. Jeff, I'm asking you for parenting tips. I'm asking you, how do you keep kids sort of focused? And I have a 12-year-old about to turn 13 as well. So from that perspective and from the students on ice expeditions, keeping them busy, you know, with stuff that they're passionate about and physically and mentally is, is really important. The great thing about these expeditions is no matter who you are, whether you're a teenager or an adult, you're going to places that still humble people, that it humbles everybody and, and you're disconnected and, and mother nature kind of takes control. And that it's, it, it reminds us who's in charge when you go on these expeditions. It's not, it's not necessarily us. It's mother nature, but um I don't know. I, I, it's, I guess I was a, a teacher when I started way, way back uh, elementary school. And some of the lessons I learned there, um, having fun, keeping busy, uh, living healthy as, as much as possible, you know, good, good food and all the rest of it, it all adds up. And uh, 
letting kids be kids. You got to have fun too. That's a big part of it. It's not all serious all the time. Uh, we, we mix in lots of fun and it, it's, I don't know. I should think about it more and maybe write a book or something. But, oh, uh, oh, for sure. Because you're, you're talking about every single parent has dealt with this, you know, question of, you know, how do I keep my kids sort of on that path? And speaking of fun, I, I, I recall that um, you're now the first person to water ski in the Antarctic Antarctic. So that, that had to be one of those trips, having fun and, and probably, you know, letting the kids sort of enjoy watching you do it. <laughs> You've got a good memory. Yeah, I think I was the first to water ski every ocean in the world, like the, um, and then definitely the polar regions. That seemed like a good idea at the time, but that was back in the, the days before there were as many rules as there are today. And the other thing too, Richard, I'd say to that last question was surrounding youth with the, the mentors and the experts and the great people. I, as one person, I'm just a part of the puzzle, but usually on these youth expeditions, it's a two to one ratio of students to staff. And you get people like Don Walsh and you and Mary Simon and Fred Roots and all these really inspiring people that share their, their passions and their, their life journeys. And that is a huge part of it. Um, uh, and, they, and they take these youth under their wings, you know, not just during the exhibition, but for years to come. Yeah, I've seen that you've done a very good job keeping sort of a network of uh, alumni. In fact, I've had kids from the expedition. I went with you in 2002 and 2003 still re reach out to me. And at this point, they possibly have their own kids. Oh, they do. Like the, now some of our alumni, we have over f like 4,000 alumni in 52 countries. And some of them have written books and invented stuff and are leaders in their own right. Um, one of the students you probably know who now is like a vice president at the Explorers Club is Trevor Wallace. I know Trevor very he, well. He came with us when he was just this 16-year-old this kid. Um, so the, the alumni program helps to nurture, support, give up, provide opportunities. So in a way that the expedition's just the beginning of the journey. And it's a, it's a lot like life, you know. Um, it, it, you never know what's going to come, but uh, if you take advantage of, the, of those opportunities, uh, it, it leads you in good, to good places. So what was the path that led you to your first Arctic uh, trip? I'm assuming you went to the Arctic first before you went to the Antarctic. Yeah, I did. It was a completely by happenstance. Uh, I had been living in Europe, uh, basically skippering, taking care of babysitting a, a, a private yacht um, when I was 19 or 20. And that's a long story for another time. But a buddy of mine, Pat Shaw, called me up and said, hey, we're going to the Arctic on this expedition. We need somebody that can drive a Zodiac <laughs> and 50 bucks a day or something like that. And I said, sign me up. And, and lo and behold, that journey up to the top of Ellesmere Island um, had these amazing people like Jeffrey Hattersley Smith, um, the great Brit, uh, British explorer, and um, oh, uh, George Hobson, and all these folks, and it changed. It like it, it exposed me to a part of the of our country, but of the world that I really knew very little about. 
um, saw the, my first polar bear. I, you know, made f- friends and contacts with, with Inuit to this day that are still friends. And I, that, that was the kind of as I could. And th- the next thing you knew, I was on my way to Antarctica and it became, it, it became in the nineties, a decade of nonstop uh, voyages around the world. It's interesting when you, uh, because I think of a lot of people in general, you meet a lot of people who really have a vague notion of what either place is like. And I had been to the Arctic, you know, fairly young in my life. My father was a pilot. But it, the first time I went to the Antarctic was actually with you. And I remember going to Elephant Island where Shackleton had stayed. But the one thing that impressed me the most about uh, the Antarctic was the size and scale of things. And and also it seemed pretty darn pristine, whereas in the Arctic, I, you know, depending on where you are, it, it has a certain amount of human habitation or or could have oil, it have, could have cans on the beach. But Antarctic, I thought was like, wow. I mean, that was a, a real wow experience. Yeah, Antarctica, as we've often said, it's like, it's the closest to um, going to outer space without leaving earth. <laughs> it is so u- unique and, and, and overwhelming in so many ways It it is to some degree, the last place on earth that hasn't been touched by humans. Although that unfortunately is not entirely true. It has lots of threats. The, the biggest being climate change um, but it is still, a, you know, it's one of those cornerstones of, of our planet's ecosystem together with the Arctic. And one of our mottos was protect the poles, protect the planet. Um, it's like a car if both poles aren't connected and, and working and the, the car doesn't start. Um, and we need planet Earth needs both the poles the way they are to drive our climate system, our ocean system. And it's a real privilege to to visit both. They're very different. Um, Antarctica, of course, has, has never had an indigenous culture, uh, unlike the Arctic. Um, but there are similarities as, as well. And uh, yeah, they're really, uh, they're places that I love uh, immensely, you know, but for different reasons. Yeah, I, I could see that. It's interesting because you um, speak to kids all the time on the, on the reason why it's important to look at these as sort of the canary in the coal mine, the Arctic and Antarctic. But you've also spoken to people like the prime minister of your country, uh, Trudeau. And the one thing that I've admired about your communication skill is I don't think you address those people all that differently. You know, you Hmm. have a very sort of um, quiet, confident, passionate speech pattern. But what is it that you... Again, I, I've seen you've been with Trudeau, Prime Minister, right? You weren't wearing a jacket and tie, Jeff. I saw you in a red T-shirt with some sort of thing on the back some, of it. Some baseball hat on. Some probably. baseball hat. You know, most people, you know, uh, will angst over what they're going to wear. But what did you, when you first met uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, what did you try to impress upon him? Well, yeah, as you say, no matter who people are, at the, at the end of the day, they're just normal people for the most part. We had a great um, chat the other day with Secretary of State Blinken. Um, I saw that. He wanted to know about 
a little bit more about students. And, you know, I, he, I love the way he got like right down to earth with his background uh, living in France and as a, as a, as a young kid. Um, yeah. Uh, Trudeau came with us way back before he was in politics. He and his wife, Sophie came on students on ice. Uh, we had a great expedition and, um, I guess it's it's a, no matter whether you're a teenager or you're somebody like like Justin or Don Walsh or whoever, we just treat everybody the same, and and it's all on a first name basis. It's not Mister Green or uh, it's Jeff, and um, there that's just our style. I don't know what what it is. I mean, maybe some people get a nicer cabin than others on some trips, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, I mean, the great thing about uh, these expeditions are it, it breaks people down. Like when you're seasick or you're, you're homesick or you're, you're somehow you're humbled by, by the things that we're seeing and doing, um, the, the real person comes out. And I, it's, it's, a great, it's a great thing about the platform. We, as being on a vessel at the end of the earth, um, allows you to do certain things that you can't do otherwise. And yeah, I feel very lucky that we've been able to, to run this program as long as we have. And I had so many great people on board, even Prince Albert uh, is the chair of our board. And, you know, second he stepped on the ship, he's like, can I take my tie off Jeff? I'm like, Turn, turn right no ties allowed get that thing off and uh and sure enough he, he did his whole he told his whole team get your jackets and ties off right now and you know we had a great I, i'm all, you know i'm glad you're on a first name basis with i, I actually went on an expedition with uh, prince albert and I, I was sort of not that i could say i acted the same because i feel like there's certain things that you can talk to people about that you know, if I talk to you and I ask you about your mom and your dad and all that, it's just kind of normal. But I feel like in the case of him, I might be less hesitant to ask questions because they would seem more prying, right? Am, am I wrong on that? No, you're not wrong. I mean, he's a head of state. Yeah. Uh, and so there is a an air there for sure. But he's also extremely down to earth um, once you get to spend a, a bit of time with him and and really truly cares about these issues that yeah. he and his foundation support around the world, the ocean conservation and environmental protection and indigenous rights. And he, he puts his money where his mouth is. That's for sure. Yeah. In fact, uh, I was actually in the Yukon with him on an expedition and we, um, I can't even remember where it was at some uh, school cafeteria where we had a lunch with local Inuit and there really was very little press and, and no, you know, sometimes you see politicians who kind of show up places because it's going to look good in a, a newspaper or a political uh, position. But I was impressed that he took the time to talk to people really at a very regular uh, level. And yeah, yeah he, he would be one of them. Now, I know you also got an award from Queen Elizabeth. Now, did you actually get to meet her for that? And that's the question. Did you call her Liz or Elizabeth or any of those things? Lizzie, yeah. Yeah, I um, know. <laughs> no, well, my wife's name's Elizabeth. We all call her Diz, um, but I didn't call her that either. No, I, I, in fact, I got that letter or that award in the mail. <laughs> so, oh, gosh. Uh, I just seen well, the, the, the TV series, The Crown. And... 
You know, I, I thought maybe there was something more there. Okay, well, that, that it was, was a, it. Was one of those Commonwealth country things you guys in the the U.S. don't don't get to have, I guess. But uh, still, a great a great honor. Yeah, no, 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 we don't. So, so Jeff, as we we sort of move uh, forward, it seems like the role of the climate. You know, twenty years ago, people definitely talked about it, right? But mm. it seemed not much, though. Yeah, not much, really. And it seemed like more of an academic conversation. You know, have you seen a, a dramatic mindset from your perspective of from the kids or kids, the ones who are really now vested in this conversation? Absolutely. And and luckily, that's that's the case because it's so it's so critical and important. I mean, it's not just climate. It's this it, this interconnection between um, ocean health, the uh, planetary health, climate health, it's all the same issue, fresh water. Um, and instead of looking at things so separately, we need to really be looking at that big picture. And youth are, youth are leading the way. They, they're fed up now. They're like, I've seen a, a change in the last 20 years, big time. Like there's, there's this uh, lack of, willing to wait for answers. Uh, and instead, youth are taking things into, into their own hands. I mean, Greta is a group, probably the, the strongest example of that. But um, the evidence is there. We see firsthand the impacts of climate change. We, we, there's glaciers that we used to climb on that don't exist anymore in the Arctic. Sea ice is rapidly diminishing. Uh, permafrost is melting. The list is, is long. It's, so it's really not... Before it was more about what is it show me prove it to me now it's it's what are we going to do about it and so we're seeing a lot of of action uh to you know being net zero by 2050 protecting 30 percent of our ocean by and land by 2030 that's hopefully going to be a new global goal but that's not enough of course we at the end of the day it's just about about uh protecting and having clean air, clean water and clean food. Like they're the priorities that we need as a human race. And this, the polar regions have always been kind of symbols for these things, for, for multilateralism, cooperation that we need, uh, science, conservation and peace and understanding. So that's why they've been such amazing platforms to learn about these things and, and go from there. I mean, I've been a little, um, Confused. On one hand, I admire some very young people like Greta Thunberg and her her advocacy. But on the other hand, in the area I live in, I see so few kids just out in the woods. And so there's this dichotomy of having people who are truly ambassadors or activists for climate change. But then on the other hand, there are so many people that seem so distant from the simplest of nature so that's yeah. a pretty tough divide there. It's a tough divide and it's it's always been the challenge like we know experiential education works. When you touch something, smell it, you get students in, or anybody into a park or into wilderness, they, it, it touches their heart and it changes them. But how do we give that experience to the masses or to youth in inner city? It's it's so challenging and you know, we, we've been 
we've had these programs that take kids from the south side of Chicago and from the from the Bronx and Brooklyn, but it's still a fraction of of students. And I think where the where the potential lies now is with new immersive technologies, which are are getting better in real time. So much, uh, it's not, it won't be the same, but it'll be closer than it's ever been. And I'm, I'm hoping we can move the needle in that way, but it is a challenge. There's no doubt. Um, there's lots of competing forces out there uh, for, for the attention of youth. Um, and uh, yeah, we really have to start there. I mean, you, you know that expression, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. We have to teach the old dogs new tricks, but I think focusing on that next gen is still critical. Right, right now, as we speak, Richard, the IUCN um, is holding its youth conference. It's a 12-day online conference with kids around the world. There's youth delegations had, getting ready to participate in COP26. We're taking a youth delegation to the Arctic Circle meeting in Iceland. There's the impact five conference in Vancouver, like it goes on and on and on. Um, so there is an, an, an enormous amount of great things happening out there. And even the sustainable blue and green economies, like there's a shift going on right now um, at the highest levels where biz, like businesses need to not only have their, their balance sheet, but they need to have a value sheet um, and if things aren't sustainable, you, you just don't do it. So there's, there's those types of things happening. And many of them are being led by youth. Like, like what is the definition of youth is the other question. You know, some of youth under 30 are leading some of the biggest companies in the world today. So we have to think of youth differently than we did 20 years ago. And, and if people want their youth to be led by you, they can go uh, to the Students on Ice website. Is it studentsonice.com? Yeah, yeah, studentsonice.com. Almost all the students that participate uh, are funded by scholarships. So don't worry about the, the fact that it costs a lot because most of the students, it doesn't cost a dime. And, and uh, just sign up. We're, we don't have any expeditions right now. No, I know it's a bit of a... Oh. But we're, we're working on some pretty exciting stuff for the years ahead. So Jeff, we, we started this conversation and before we um, sign off, Don Walsh called you the best expedition leader he'd ever been with. Who's the best expedition leader or the person that you've looked up to and admired and say, man, that's who I want to be like? Uh, <laughs> great question. Well, you know, the easy one there would be, um, certainly I had my Shackleton phase of life and retracing his journeys. And there's a lot like endurance is still one of the greatest books, but in like people that I've actually gotten to know um, probably, well, our son is named Fletcher Ernest Green and Fletcher comes from David Fletcher, who is a, a great, uh, great person from the UK who he and I led a bunch of expeditions together. Um, and uh, that's, yeah. So I'd have to say David Fletcher and then Ernest besides Ernest Shackleton comes from um, Fred Roots, uh, Fred Ernest Ooh, Roots. Yeah. Who you met and 
he got up on stage when he was 90 years old at the Waldorf to accept that uh, prestigious medal. Um, Fred was an amazing inspiration and hero and a, 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 went to the polar regions back in the 40s, the late 40s. And um, yeah, so I'd say, but there's a long list of Sure. Fred was actually on my, when I went on my first Antarctic trip with you, Fred was one of the uh, people on that. So I, I, yeah, I enjoyed it. Don and and Mary and others, they were kind of that, they're the grandmothers and grandfathers, I like to say, of students on ice. Jeff, I I wish you good luck. It's so good to see you. Um, You know, we've known each other for 20 years. And uh, thanks for being a guest on Life's Tough Explorers or Tougher. Well, it's an honor. And if those guys are the grandmothers and grandfathers, you're, you're maybe like the crazy uncle. <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept that. I'll accept that. But thanks. It's been a real pleasure. Um, great, to ch- get, great to catch up. Every great expedition has to come to an end. But that doesn't mean we can't stay in touch. Send us your favorite expedition pictures and tell us about your most memorable journeys large or small. All right, get something to write with. Here are my coordinates. www.lifestuff.com slash explorers. One more time, www.lifestuff.com slash explorers. That's it for today. Hope to see you out on the trail.